And then we're going to dedicate maybe the last 10, 15 minutes just to do communion together as, um, as sisters in Christ. So if you didn't have the chance, you missed that announcement and you want to grab the elements real quick up here, you can do so while we are all turning to Exodus, Exodus chapter 31. So Exodus chapter 31. So I don't know what your gift is um, or the things you're willing to work hard to produce. I was um, talking with someone earlier and she was sharing with me how much she loves to cook um, and it's true when you're putting together a recipe or a meal for someone, if, if that's your joy, if that's your passion, you don't mind putting in the hard work of chopping and, you know, cooking and setting all the times for things. Um, maybe it's cleaning, right? I have someone very near and dear in my family that, again, just that reward of a nice, clean house is worth all of the struggle that it takes <laughs> to get that house nice and clean. Um, I know someone whose grandma was an expert stain remover from clothing. Like she would just painstakingly like do the treatment and, and somehow the shirt would look better than new. Like because of just that, that love, that ability that she had to remove stains. Uh, we have the opportunity on, um, how do I word this? So Miss Amanda started this discipleship group with some of the, the young adult ladies, and I was able, that sounded funny, but some of the girls and young adults, and then she invited some of the leadership ladies to join also, and she used this great analogy on um, what we do sometimes, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow it from her. I'm sure she won't mind, but she says, like, let's say you took that meal. That took you maybe a week and a half to plan that menu. It took you maybe three hours in the grocery store to find all the ingredients, plus all the time to prepare it and the overnight. And then that person comes and they get that menu and they get that meal and they're like, where's your ketchup? And they just continue to squeeze half the bottle of ketchup before even tasting it. I don't know about you, but I, I would be tempted to say that they're doing it wrong, that that's not what I had intended for that meal to be, how it should be consumed, right? And it's funny because she kept saying, I mean, it's not like ketchup is a sin, right? There's no like thou shalt not put ketchup on your gourmet meal. But isn't that the case with the things of the world? So often it's not those things that are blatant sin that we're dousing all over our plate it's, it's the frivolous. It's those little things that steal our time. It's those little things that we misprioritize, those, those things that, well, okay, it's not that it's wrong, but it just doesn't have a place on our plate, right? It doesn't really belong there. It's not the fullness of the glorious, victorious life that God has promised us, that he's willing to produce in each of our hearts. So what does it mean to sanctify? It means to consecrate. Don't you love it when the definition is like a harder word <laughs> than the original word? It's like, great, now I have to look up two words. Um, so to sanctify means to consecrate, to prepare, to dedicate, right? To be separate, to be separate. To separate ourselves from that catch-up. To say, Lord, your intentions are higher like it tells us in Isaiah 55, his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways, because they're far above, they're better. 
So being willing to be separated. So we're going to answer two questions today. We're going to answer the why of sanctification, and we're going to answer the how, right? So now that we've learned the fact that Jesus is the one who sanctifies us, and that knowing he is the God who is to come, and that his return is so close, ought to produce in us this desire to be sanctified, we're going to examine why, and we're going to examine how. The first one, and I was just so overwhelmed in our time of worship because uh, Solani and Ellie didn't know that this was going to be our first point, but the first why of sanctification is Sabbath, right? The first time that the Lord introduces himself to his people as the God who sanctifies, it's connected to Sabbath, this idea of rest. So that's our first point, why we should be sanctified, why we should allow sanctification in our life. The first point is Sabbath, and it be, it's because it leads to our rest. So hopefully you're there in Exodus, Exodus 31. We'll pick up in verse 12. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Verse 14, you shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. So we know that we are under a new covenant. We know that we go to church on Sunday because Jesus rose again from the dead on that first day of the week. So how do we, as New Covenant believers, right, enter into the Sabbath, enter into this promised rest? Well, it's through sanctification. Ladies, I don't know if you've noticed, maybe your life can testify to this, but sin is a ruthless taskmaster. Sin is a ruthless taskmaster. If there is a lack of rest, I'm not talking, you know, about the tiredness of raising little kids or being a full-time working mom or, you know, studying and balancing all that. I'm talking about restlessness. I'm talking about no peace in your soul, um, no room for joy in your schedule. Chances are you're not serving the true master. You're serving that other master, right? Because the Bible is so clear, it's one or the other. There's no in-between. So the Lord invites us into allowing him to sanctify us because he desires to give us rest. Take some time, maybe this week, and allow the Lord to examine your heart and saying, where is sin not letting me rest? What is that compromise? 
Is it immorality? Is it wasting time? Maybe the Lord has called you to serve, you know, to step out in a certain area and you've kind of been holding back because, oh, it's not the best fit for my personality or I, I don't know because then all these people are going to depend on me and I don't want to let them down. Whatever insecurities, whatever things the Lord is trying to free you from, but sin is not letting you rest. Allow the Lord to sanctify those motives, to show you that he is the God of the Sabbath. The next reason we ought to allow the Lord to be the one who sanctifies us personally has to do with surrender. Surrender. And for that, we'll turn to a familiar book where we've been camped out with um, Pastor Zach. We'll turn to Leviticus. We'll turn to Leviticus chapter 22. I just love the fact that the Lord continues to introduce himself to the children of Israel as the one who sanctifies them. He promises them that he was going to invite them to share in his holiness, and he was going to be the one to do it through them. In Leviticus 22, we'll just look at a few verses, starting in verse 29. And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord... Offer it of your own free will. Verse 30, on the same day it shall be eaten, you shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. Therefore you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Here God is commanding the people different things. He's asking them to grow in their thanksgiving. And really, that's what leads to surrender. The same way that if we want rest, we need to forsake sin and enter into that Sabbath. In order for us to grow in surrender and obedience, it has to start with thanksgiving. We have to recognize Christ's amazing sacrifice for us, all that he's done, and we have to bring it to him out of a free will. So maybe tonight, before you go to sleep, you'll stop and you'll write five things that you're grateful for, things that the Lord has done for you, in you, through your family. And just in that sacrifice of praise, he's going to be hollowed. He's going to be reverenced in your life. Another reason for sanctification is sacredness of our speech and in our heart. Earlier in Leviticus, you could just jot down these verses, 20, verses 7 through 8. Again, the Lord commands his people, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And again, that was Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. May our words, may our heart be set apart to the Lord in sacredness. Charles Spurgeon had this to say. He said, if our hands are now unclean, let us wash them in Jesus' precious blood. And so let us pray unto God, lifting up pure hands. But clean hands would not suffice unless they were connected with a pure heart. True religion is heart work. We may wash the outside of the cup and the platter as long as we please, 
But if the inward parts be filthy, we are filthy altogether in the sight of God. For our hearts are more truly ourselves than our hands are. We may lose our hands and yet live, but we could not lose our heart and still live. The very life of our being lies in the inner nature and hence the imperative need of purity within. There must be a work of grace in the core of the heart as well as in the palm of the hand or our religion is a delusion. May God grant that our inward powers may be cleansed by the sanctifying spirit so that we may love holiness and abhor all sin. The pure in heart shall seek God. All others are but blind bats. Stone blindness in the eye arises from stone in the heart. Dirt in the heart throws dust in the eyes. Now the how of sanctification. The first aspect that we can enter into the sanctifying work that Jesus has prepared for us is through prayer. Pray. If you want an answered prayer, right, like maybe you're struggling with, mm, I don't know, Jesus, here's my prayers. He's not answering them. Pray that he would sanctify you, and you will see how quickly he will answer that prayer. If you ask him, Lord, expose my sin, reveal to me the ways I need to repent, he will be right there to answer that prayer. For better or for worse, I'm just telling you, that's usually the way it works in my life. If I pray to be convicted, he is just like so ready and willing to show me all the ways that I need to be convicted. And then I'm faced with what am I going to do with that conviction? Am I going to allow it to produce in me sanctification and purity and holiness? Or am I going to be like, oof, okay, well, God, you know my heart. Exactly. That's why I'm showing you all that is wrong with it. This is one of the last things Jesus prayed for his disciples before going to the cross. He prayed that we would be sanctified in his word because it is truth. And that's found in John 17, verses 15 through 23. John 17, 15 through 23. That was Jesus' prayer for us. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He's not taking us out of this world, right? That's not what sanctification looks like. It doesn't look like being out of this world. It means that we are in it, but not of it. We're not allowing the, the thoughts, the thinking, the philosophies of the world to influence us. Instead, we are based on the truth of his word in the decisions we make, in the plans that we plan. All those things are about his will. And that happens through prayer. Another aspect of sanctification is through his word. Ladies, be reading the word daily. There's so many resources out there, and I've been so excited to um, join in with the church and going through the Bible. So you can pick up with us, right? There's the, the little um, handouts. And again, if it seems too daunting to commit to reading those three chapters a day, read just the Old Testament with us or just read the New Testament with us. But start in the beginning of God's word through the end, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. His word sanctifies us. And we looked at this chapter last week in our study, or not last week, our last lesson in Ephesians 5, right? Where Christ is compared, his love for us is compared to that of a husband and a wife. 
And it tells us in Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27, that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. If we want to be sanctified, it happens through prayer and it happens through being in his word. And the last part of how to be sanctified is through sacrifice. It's going to cost us something because it costs Jesus everything. It costs him everything. And you can go ahead and turn with me now to the New Testament in Hebrews. Hebrews is sort of like the Leviticus of the New Testament. It makes sense of all these sacrifices, all these things um, that the children of Israel had to do and explains to us how they were just shadows. Shadows, but Jesus is the substance. Um, and I love that word picture because could you imagine, let's say you've been on a trip, you were away from your family, your friends for a while, and you come off that plane to the airport and they're there and they have flowers and balloons and, and maybe your favorite dessert. And they come and instead of running to you, they like hug your shadow and like they give your shadow the flowers and the balloons and the, and the dessert. You would be like, um... What, what did I miss? What, what happened here? Like, wow, I was gone a, a really long time. Something, something must have happened in the family. That would be ridiculous, right? But instead, it would be you that they should embrace and welcome back. And so sometimes when individuals try to uh, force legalism and force people like, no, but you have to keep the feast and you have to do everything according to the law and everything, and this is the only way, it's like, I wonder if Jesus is like, wow, really been gone a long time. I need to get back there. These people have forgotten that it's me they're supposed to worship, not my shadow. So all that as an introduction to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And again, just in one, on Wednesday nights, going through all that intense work, just, just for a scab that these children of Israel would have to do in the desert figuring out how to be able to be clean again, figuring out how to be able to have fellowship with their family and friends and with the Lord. And that sacrifice that it took, this bull or these two lambs or that turtle dove, you know, or this goat, and then you take the blood of one and you sprinkle it on the, like this was a whole day affair. And ladies, all we have to do is open our word and say, Jesus cleanse me, and he does it. But that sacrifice, which he did once and for all, was more costly than any lamb or bull or turtle dove. In verse 10, it says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Sanctification is hard. 
We can't lie and say that it's easy because it's not natural to us. Dying to self is not natural to us, right? Humility is not natural to us. It takes that supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. But you know what's harder, ladies? Living a life of sin. That's much harder. That's much lonelier. And the consequences of that are way more difficult. So choose your sacrifice, right? Are you going to hold on to the sacrifice of the Lord? Or is it going to be in vain in your life? The truest why as to why we should be sanctified is because of love. God's love for us. His immense, immeasurable love that just doesn't make sense. In Jude, um, the first verse there in that letter, if you're quick, it's the second to last book in the Bible, Jude, and we'll just look at that first verse. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. And I don't know if your Bible has um, like little footnotes. Mine does. It has like a little number one on that word sanctified. Because in some translations, it says beloved. Isn't that sweet that those two are synonymous? The more beloved you are, the more sanctified you'll become, right? Because his love for us is so amazing. It purifies us. Ladies, you are loved. You're loved so much that God is willing to look at his son's sacrifice in place of everything that we deserve, that you and I deserve individually. So I pray that we would allow this sanctification work to take place. We're going to transition now into communion, and I'm just going to ask that this first part we do in silence so that the worship team can join us as well. And then once we partake of the elements together, um, they'll go ahead and lead us in another song or two. But this way we have a chance um, just to sit in quiet, to allow his presence um, to convict us. I'm just so excited to... Um, to know that his return is at any moment. And I pray that he would find here in us, in Calvary, Miami, in our Woven's Ladies Bible study, um, those wise women who will have their lamps trimmed, who will have that extra oil and be sanctified, ready for his return. The thoughts I, I wanted us to um, just turn to as we prepare our hearts for communion, are found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Again, speaking just of the love of God. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteousness, that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, 
we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So we're going to go ahead and, and take the cup. You're going to peel the side um, that holds the bread first. The bread representing his body. That bread of life. That was perfect. And yet he was willing to be marred and scarred. Torn to shreds for our sin. Whenever you're ready, you may partake of that bread. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you were perfect, that you did not deserve any punishment. And yet you tell us in your word that you not only took on our punishment, but you became sin. Separated from your Father, God. That we might never have to be alone. We might never have to be separated again. So Jesus, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? Would you allow this time of communion to remind us how beautiful that work sanctification is? Lord, forgive us for so often resisting it, Lord. We'll turn our attention now to the cup and um, peel where the juice of the vine is held. This cup of the new covenant that he um, partook of before his sacrifice, before our relationship was restored. And it meant so much to him that he said he was willing to wait for us to be at home with him before he partook of this cup again. And I think of that last lesson that we were able to share about the marriage supper of the Lamb and how excited he must be as he's preparing those cups for us that we might share communion with him in heaven and we know that it represents the blood right that that was the shadow in Leviticus of all the blood that was shed for the covering of sins and yet because he was the perfect sacrifice and he was willing to pour out all his blood for us now our sin is not only covered, it's forgiven. It's washed. It's gone. So whenever you're ready, partake of the juice of the vine.
Lord, thank you for your patience with us, Lord. And though our sins were as scarlet, they are now white as snow, God. We can be white as snow. And I pray we would not trample on the blood of your sacrifice by compromising with sin, by settling for the lesser things, the lesser joys of this world, God. When you have riches beyond compare ready for us, and all we have to do is enter in. So I pray you would strengthen my sisters here now as we worship God. May we be reminded of your sacrifice, Lord. Restore us again, we pray, Lord, in your name. Amen. So the worship team is going to come up and we'll spend our, our last five minutes together just in his throne. Um, and I know the Lord has something special that he wants to remind you of or speak to your heart in this time. So we'll go ahead and worship together.
As we get ready to sing this last song, why don't we all stand together? And I'm going to ask uh, the ladies who serve with me in ladies' Bible study just to come up and be available uh, for prayer in case the Lord um, has just put anything in your heart, an area that you want to grow in sanctification, you can come up for prayer. And we'll sing this last song together, and then we'll be dismissed.